Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. How powerful is Cox Internet? So powerful that one day, your daughter will be able to simulate a soccer match against some of the world's best players right from your backyard. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Internet delivered through Cox's hybrid fiber coax network. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions apply. EST 2016. This is interviews, music reviews, and more. This is, this is The Hotter Show. What is up, everybody? We are on audio here today in episode 348 of The Hotter Show. I hope you guys are doing absolutely fantastic. Thank you so very much for tuning in and clicking that play button on today's episode of the podcast. I've got a kick-ass episode for you here today, as I do every single week right here on The Hotter Show. I am sitting down with my old buddy, Gord Cameron, who is the bassist of the mighty Beguiler. And this conversation was a long time coming because I've known Gord for... Uh, like frig a very long time almost 10 years at this point i would say at least eight to ten years in that in that ballpark there because i met him a very long time ago in my old life when i was at uh, the music store gigs music there so we have a lot to talk about his early days in music and kind of what got him started with playing music influences forming his first band, being in the band Crane, who were a fantastic uh, metal band, joining Beguiler, how that whole experience has been, some favorite past shows that he's done, and just a lot of really fun uh, fun talk about his, kind of his overall musical journey. So definitely look forward to the entirety of this kick-ass conversation with Gord. Before we jump into it, I want to thank everybody for their support on last week's episode of the show. My chat with Robert and Nick from Sticks and Stones. Definitely a really fun conversation. They were great guests and are some super talented musicians. So go check out Sticks and Stones. They deserve your support. And if you haven't checked out that episode, I do implore you to go do so because it was a lot of fun. The whole thing of Dave Mustaine being featured on a Drake song just was uh, utterly hilarious. So go back and check that out for sure. And stay tuned for the entirety of this fantastic episode with Gord Cameron from Beguiler. Before we jump in, we're going to take a quick second to hear a word from the sponsors who are helping the hotter show grow. Let's check it out. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. It has been a long time coming, but we've got Gord Cameron here from Beguiler. Gord, man, what's up, buddy? It's good to see you. Fuck, man. It's good to be back. It's good to finally be here 
Well, actually, no, because we were here a month, two months ago. <laughs> oh, you! It was you and Jacob. Now it's just you. Let's just yeah. Think. Now it's just me. First time, the Gord Man cometh. The Gord Man cometh. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. Well, dude, it like it's funny because like we've been shooting the shit for a bit now, and like it's funny to think like ten years ago or some shit was the first time I ever met you. When shouts to uh, shouts to Mason when he he brought you into into the store. A little did I know, you know, 10 years into the future, we'd be having our first podcast. <laughs> man, cra- it's been a crazy ride, man. Honestly, like the shit I've done in the last 10 years and never would have thought I'd have done. And here we are, baby. Still here. Fucking still here. Still here, yeah. still rocking and rolling, still doing the still, music thing. Still, still musicking, still bassing, still thumping, still... Still doing it. Still smacking that low end thump. <laughs> That's it, man. That's it. Well, let's go back for me here because I'm curious. Where uh, where did it start for you with music? Like, what was the first music that you ever heard? What kind of got the gears turning for that? Oh man, it it'd be it's it's such a weird tie. Cause it's like two different styles, but like you had John Paul Jones from Zeppelin and uh, David Elphinson from Megadeth from like, cause man, like that peace sells album. Like, I don't know how much Megadeth, you know, but like peace sells, like that was one of the first metal albums I ever heard. And it just floored me. The bass on that album is insane. Yeah. That's a, that's a beast. Like David Elfson, as much as it kind of sucks how his career with Megadeth ended. Yeah. Ended for the Rip. what third time now, whatever. Something like, like that. I'm sure he'll be back at some point. But um actually maybe not. I think I think I read Dave Mustaine was just like it's not happening. Like he's like, No, it's done. Yet. It's um, over. Yeah, I, I don't know. But um, I still yeah, that's appreciate a, that work though. Oh, of course. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, maybe he did some some uh, weird, sketchy shit, but it's like, you know, you can appreciate the fact that the guy was a beast on the base. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was an influential guy. But talk, you mentioned John Paul Jones there. That's a guy who, uh, I mean, he's one of the one of the fucking greats of all time. So was it specifically like, was there a specific record from Zeppelin? Because I'm assuming it was Zeppelin, like when, you, you know, you heard him with, obviously. Oh, man. Was there a specific record that you really dug or? For me personally, I think it would have to be either Zeppelin 4, Zeppelin 4, or Physical Graffiti. Okay. Because, again, I don't know how much Zeppelin you know, but Physical Graffiti was one of those albums where, like, every song is Zeppelin, but, like, when you listen to them and, or, like, when you listen to it, they're all kind of their own vibes. But it's still that sound. And just I that man knew how to fucking he knew how to just walk the bass and he knew how to be a bass player, man. But then the man also knew how to have flair and how to just shred. And you know, twelve year old me was like, that's tight. <laughs> Cause like my parents, like my mom and dad, they're they weren't ever musically like they never played instruments or anything, but like 
huge fans of music, just all kinds of shit, man. Like, like my parents had everything from like old country, like classic rock, psychedelic, fucking heavy metal, thrash metal. My dad was big into like like late seventies, eighties punk rock and stuff like that. So that's where like my all like my punk shit came from when I was. After, shortly after Megadeth, I, I discovered like the Misfits and Sex Pistols and stuff like that. And I was like, this is also fucking tight. Like, <laughs> it all has its place, right? Oh, dude. It all has its place. And it's all, it's, it's just funny. Like, Physical Graffiti is one of those records, too, that, like, I mean, you look at the, at the track listing for Physical Graffiti, just for, as an example. And, like, you've got just, just, you know, Trampled Underfoot and Cashmere, even just those, like, those are two just fucking wild songs. You know, obviously it's not maybe like, I really became a big fan of John Paul Jones with his work with them Crooked Vultures. Um, oh, okay. Because that, yeah, like that's, if you've, if you ever heard them Crooked Vultures? Not too, too much of it. That's, it's, it's cool stuff. Cause it's very, I don't want to say it's very John Paul Jones led because that's not, fair to Josh Homie, but like, man, like he, you can hear his influence in, in them crooked vultures. If you're a John Paul Jones fan, you got to check out them. Crooked vultures. Yeah, man. I might, I might have to dip back. I might have to got some homework to do. <laughs> That's it. Was there any song specifically from, like you mentioned peace. Was there any song specifically that like you really were like, Oh shit. Like this is, this is well, like, jam. wake up dead. I mean, the first four songs, man, like Wake Up Dead, The Conjuring, Peace Cells was probably the one just that do 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 like that's cool, man. And it's so like it's its own thing because it just that's the intro and then it that's it. Like the rest of the song, like it's just but he got to have that little and I was like, I wanna have that little diddle diddle. In music, a little so. diddle diddle, <laughs> <laughs> as, as we call it, in uh, as as of, as we tend to start calling it, the little diddle diddle. I like that. <laughs> I like that. That's funny. Were you when you were getting into the mega deck? Was there any of the other kind of the big four of metal that you got into as well, or did you pretty much go from that straight to like the punk stuff? Well, Megadeth and Metallica, like hand in hand. I always always love Master Puppets, man. Is cliche as it sounds like it's just if you're a fan of metal and you don't like that album it's kind of like what what the fuck is literally fucking <laughs> it laid the pathway helped lay the pathway but like i also like i wasn't too i'm more into slayer now than i was because there were some songs where like i was just kind of like this just sounds like random nonsense like i don't get it but then there are other songs there's other songs, but now looking back on it, it's like, fuck, dude, if only, you know, 13-year-old me knew what 27-year-old me was into now. Holy <laughs> crap. Like, Dude, I say that all the time. Like, if, if, if high school TJ could see the kind of stuff I was into now, I'd be disgusted with myself. Like, same just, here, man. Absolutely. Like, I used to talk so much shit about bands like Lamb of God and stuff. I'd be like, oh, bro, like, it's not even music. I was so uh, fucking stubborn, but it's funny. Like, so I, th I think something that a lot of people can appreciate about Metallica specifically, I mean, you got the trifecta of bass players, right? 
Like that's that's three very distinctive bass players. But so you were you were a Cliff Burton guy, obviously. Then I can I can. Cliff Cliff Burton and Jason Newstead, man, yeah. especially like, especially like, I know with Injustice for All, there's the whole controversy and all that. But like when you can actually hear with that, like when you actually see what that man's playing on that album, it's like, shit, it was great. Black album was good. Like everything he did with Metallica was awesome. See, like I'm a huge Jason Newsted fan, so that, like, yeah, you know, I'm like, but I also I dig like load like loads my favorite Metallica record. So like, interesting. It's yeah, oh yeah, I get shit for it all the time when I'm like, I don't even care, man. I love load. I also love Paul Pitts and fucking Ride the Lightning and like I love. I don't. There's not a Metallica record I don't like. I'm one of those guys, but like. You look at what even like what Newstead did with his solo band, like you know, there's um, he is a player kind of like Tom, like Tom from Slayer too. He's another guy who like he doesn't really get a lot of props for how good of a bass player he actually is. Like I always thought, like oh, like he's you know he's just the guy who's yelling at me about God and stuff. Like he's not he's not that great of a bass player. And then I remember. We had a, a student at the store who was a huge this kid who was just a massive fucking Slayer fan. He was a, he was learning to play bass, and I remember one time his teacher came out from the back and he was like, "Dude, you ever actually listen to Slayer's bass lines?" I'm like, "Not really. Why?" And he grabs a bass and starts playing. I can't remember what I was like a really obscure Slayer song, and I was like, "Shit!" He's like, "Yeah." Like I always thought he was just like riding the E the whole time. But no, nah, he's fucking like just nah, dude. moving. That's <laughs> he what also I mean. has the like, riffs, but that's what I mean. Like he, Tom Rea, like he's he's doing vocals and playing that bass at the same time. Like that's to me the that's I can't wrap my head around that, dude. How people can sing and play something that's like slightly off of what they're singing. Because even if I'm like jamming on my acoustic or something or even just playing on my bass and i'm trying to like sing along with a melody i'll still like either choke my words or choke the choke the line playing it try and fucking i can't do it it's like i i think in my experience singing and playing bass is even harder like i find like a, a lot of bassist vocalists like don't get the respect they deserve because like you're playing, it's different from just, oh, I'm strumming and playing a few chords. It's like, no, like there's a little more going on. Like, yeah, when you're playing heavy music, you can kind of just, you know, just uh, ride the E or the D or whatever the fuck, so to speak, depending on what tuning you're in, obviously. But like, yep. it's um, like, I don't think they get a lot of credit for that. Like Tom Ayer is another guy, like where he just like, it's wild to, to really, and even like some, like some punk basses, you know, I had this conversation with John from Nothing Serious like uh, uh, years ago where I was like, man, I never really understood like how diff like how heavy some punk bass lines actually are. Like, because you don't really think of it. It's like you think of punk bass and you're thinking of like, you know, like, uh, like Fat Mike or like, uh, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget his name. The guy from Green Day. What the hell's his name? Oh, Mike Dirt. Mike Dirt. Like yeah. you, you think of like, you know, you know, you don't think of like that heavy, you know, distorted bass with, with you. Do you have a, cause your, your bass tone is very, what I've always, what I really have always liked about your bass tone is like, 
you're not like there, there's you have that happy medium where you're not super super distorted you know because i i find i like bass tone that's very like that's why i was such a big fan of newstead he didn't really dirty his bass up too much it was very kind of he could and when he needed to he did but like mm-hmm. there's nothing i love more and that's another david elson thing too right where like he doesn't really distort his bass that much like when you pull it out of the mix he just kind of lets it speak for itself do you have a preference in that or do you kind of just whatever fits the song so for like for doing the crane stuff because of what marty and sean were writing and how the bass was kind of following uh more what the guitar riffs were playing i needed i needed a tone that was when we'd go into the breakdowns and kind of ride like the open notes and stuff and kind of do our thing, I needed it to be like still punchy. And I, I love a clanky sound, man. I don't know. It just, it just makes me smile listening to a bass that cuts through the mix, especially in metal, especially in metal and go like with David Elphinson and like all the guys from like the earlier bands and stuff, like, yeah, they had monsters tone without even needing to put any gain or overdrive or anything on it. And I love that because it's more or less just letting their bass and the amp do all the work and how and how they're playing too. But with uh, Crane, it was one thing. And then Beguiler, it's, man, that dark glass. Because like, I usually play the Sans amp. And like some people, Reddit people will argue, there's like, oh, it's like at the end of the day, like it's, there's not really a big difference. Like, there's a difference. Oh, there's a difference. That's a really that, ignorant thing to say. There's that, a big difference. That dark glass, man. Like when we're even when we're just jamming, like when we go up and they're like, okay, like you know, everybody's strong, test sound, just like that. Oh, I love it. Sounds like, like, w- w- like the one thing I just when when it's a really good bass tone, and you just hit that open. It needs to sound like you ever you ever like listened really closely to like an open back piano before. You just hit yeah. one key and it just fucking like I'm like it needs to sound like that, but like dirty. <laughs> like that's to that's me. I'm mean. like you know, it's it's gnarly, dude. Like that the dark glass. Now Scott, you know, thanks to Scott for that pedal because he had just got. I think he played a handful of shows with it while he was still playing bass and then when they parted ways with miller and scott moved up back to guitar because he originally played guitar in all the other bands with jacob and then it's like oh we have i went from having one bass rig to two full bass rigs and then it was like well let's like frankenstein something together and then it was just eh, that dark glass see the trainer though man that sounds gnarly sounds fuck it just i love it man but that's for what we do with Beguiler, it needs to be that aggressive kind of trying to think of a word. I guess attack to it. Yeah, like it's very it cuts through, but it's not like because like I, I find with heavier stuff sometimes the bass can get very muddy. Yeah. Like it's very it's almost like it's buried. And mm-hmm. like like the second you hear heavy stuff where the bass really cuts through. That's what you want, right? You don't want, I want to be able to hear what's going on, you know? One of my favorite examples of like distorted bass that like cuts through a mix very well, but like 
at some times like you you it still like just blends perfectly in the background and like still holds that low end but like when it needs to like cut through for like a cool little diddle riff man here and there black dahlia murder bass man is where it's at like all they've had they've had a, a they've had a score of bass players now but each one's a slight step up from the last which i really like because you get all different kinds of styles and stuff and the last two guys they've had were both finger style but like when i was listening to it i was like that sounds like a pick and then you see it live and you're like nah dude that's finger style and it that was just music my bass i was like oh awesome it's gnarly the difference though eh like it, it's one of those things that that was one thing with me like like when i would i didn't really understand the difference i thought it was just like a personal preference thing right but like you you see some guys who just like one of the one of the gnarliest bass tones that i ever heard that was another guy like i don't think he gets a lot of credit because of the band he's in but it's uh uh gabe from Whitechapel. He, oh, he, yeah. he plays a four string bass in like whatever fucking tuning they're playing in these days. And like th- this dude just has like a normal scale four string, like SG style bass. And he has this super heavy fucking pick and he just gong. <laughs> and like, I remember when I first heard, um, not saws the law, uh, our endless war. The, one of the first opening notes, I thought it was a guitar. And then I saw a live video and I'm like, no, that's the fucking bass. Like, holy shit. Like just, yeah, man. But it cuts through so much. I was like, oh, that's the bass. I thought it was a guitar. Holy shit. No, like, again, another great example of fucking crushing. And like, we could talk about crushing tone for yeah. hours and hours and hours. <laughs> like, but I also find too that like depending on what I'm playing, like if I'm just kind of sitting at home, just kind of jamming, because like I like to play things that aren't metal too, and I really really enjoy when you can have a really nice kind of not like flat, but a really nice big fat warm tone, like where it's just like it fills it the room, and you're just like oh, like. Uh, Man, the bass for Dazed and Confused. Yeah, just it's nice, just, big, warm tone. It's so fat. like. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing like just being able to sit. Like, I think um, there's nothing I love more when it comes. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend I'm a bass player, but like I, the first time I sat down with a real bass rig and played My Friend of Misery, that opening, you know, part, because that's one of my favorite pieces of music ever written. Not just on bass, but in general. Yeah. And like when you have a good bass tone that's clean and you're playing that part, it is just you just get transported to another world. Same with Days of Confused. Like just that it's just it fills the room and it's like oh it like makes your I don't even know how to explain it. It just like it like rattles your bones. You're like shit. Like this it gives is, you goosebumps, bro. It gives you goosebumps. Yeah. It's a very underrated um, uh, way to express yourself. I think bass is like it's very like there are times where I'll, I'll I'll pay more attention to what's going on with the bass than anything. And like I'm I'm a, I'm a riff guy, but like 
when I hear a really good bass riff, I'm just like, shit, man. Or a doodly, whatever, you know? <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like, it's, <laughs> there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. But you mentioned a video there about uh, Crane and Beguiler, which obviously Crane was the band you were previously in that a lot of people uh, would know you from who listen to this show. But then also now, of course, you're playing with Beguiler, which is kind of a somewhat of a recent, uh, a recent thing. Um, and we're very excited about the future to hear you ripping bass with uh with Bagada there but let's let's go back a bit here so you're young gourd back in the day mm -hmm. you're listening to Megadeth and Led Zeppelin and then you had a little punk phase and stuff like that when did you start playing bass and what was the music you were listening to when you finally were like okay I want to like pick up an instrument I think I would have been grade nine when I got my first bass, just like a Fender, I think, my, I, think I got like a, a J bass at the time, which I, I I didn't do my research. I just wanted to play. So like I didn't realize, oh, if you're going to do like punk, use a, use, a, use a P bass, but then, you know, you get on Google and other people are like, nah, man, like use whatever you want. Like, so I was just like, okay, whatever. So use the J bass for a while. And at the time, Rise Against, man, that was like one of the big, because like especially their first the first decade of that band man like from 2000 to 2010 11 like that's their i think that's their like golden era i like their stuff now but it's just more kind of like alt rock than punk because they're old now <laughs> yeah, <it's like> dad <laughs> rock now or whatever the hell the kids call it Bas basically but like if you listen to um like and like the bass intro to uh, like the angel, that's one of their revolutions per minute. Anyway, that's got some gnarly. And he, when you watch him play, his wrist, like his pick hand, it looks like it's made of rubber. Like he looks like he's just like throwing it at the fucking at his at his strings, man. Like it's crazy watching this man play. It was cool to see him play live too. Saw that back in. That guy was in grade 12 when I saw him. That's fucking sweet. Did you like take any lessons or anything or were you all self-taught? No, my, my buddy, like our friend, Nick, uh, the guy I was telling you about, we were chatting earlier. He, uh, he kind of showed me how to read tab and I went from there. Right on. And you, you had mentioned um, that you, you started with the J base. Do you, cause I, I know that you still like, play rock the j bases is that is that just at this point you're just so used to it or have you tried the p base setup like do you really have a preference between the two or i like the j base setup i think more just because it's i've been playing it a lot longer and also with well the last few years now we been playing the five strings and that's that was definitely like i always wanted to play the fives but then Using it in Crane, like I had to, I tuned it really weird. Like I basically did, so like instead of the B E A D G for like the standard tuning, I would just tune my my top five strings to the top five strings on the guitar and match okay. it. Yeah, and try to match it as best. So I was using uh, the six string setup on my five just because right. it had the longer scale. So. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So was there a reason you did that, or it was just strictly to tune for, for, yeah. for drop for playing drop B? Like 
I didn't have to, I could just use a regular, like, I use a little bit of a heavier gauge, but like for the, all the drop C songs, because of how, like, if you tune that with a regular bass, it was just like the tension on the neck, man, the strain and the warp, like, it was so bad for it. But when you get the string, the six string, I think when we researched it, it was, um, it just had a little less tension than like your, even your standard, like, bass string. So if we're playing in C and my sans amp was doing all the work for tones, so it still sounded good live. Yeah, I think there's a lot of I'll never forget like when I would have guys come in with their four strings and be like, Oh, I want to put like a 165 on this and Jeebus. like tune it down. And I'm like, fuck boys, like this is gonna just like this is gonna you'd have to cut the nut out like triple size that it was just to get it to fit, like I'd have to I'd have to hollow out the tuning head sometimes too. Like just Jesus guys, what are we doing here? Like just... <laughs> that's that's awful, man. I've never I've never even fathomed that thought because I I I also there's a part of me that's like if I go into a music store, especially like now, if I go into a store and I'm like, yeah, man, like I want to put a 160 gauge on this fucking on this uh on my J bass, the guy's gonna look at me and be like how old are you? You know what I mean? Like, right. it's like, it's, what are we doing? Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing, guy? Well, How long now there's you? so much shit too, where they make like balanced strings and stuff. Like there's so much just wild shit out there now, even just because I've been so out of the loop, right? Like I hear about stuff now and I'm just like, what like it actually works and they're like yeah i'm like fuck okay <laughs> like so you know. when we when we play live uh we play in technically right now our set is three different tunings so we have a few songs from the earlier releases which are all in uh drop a which is what our guitars are tuned to currently and then the Edirath stuff two of the songs are no Three of the songs are G, and one of them is G sharp. So what we did, rather than, because you'd ruin your guitar after the first, you know, the first the first show you did doing that, like tune in, that's crazy. So we ended up getting the uh, the drop pedals from Digitech, and I'd heard of them, and like I'd seen other bands kind of use them, but like I was always like, well. I don't know, man. Like, just tune it to that. It sounds better. But like after playing with it for these last couple of shows, like over the last year, it you can't you you can't tell the difference live. I remember where I had seen a band that used those, and afterwards, I remember I was talking to them, and I was like, "Man, like that's so gnarly! Like you guys tuned down that low, and like because I was a baritone guy, right? Like that was mm -hmm. my that's like some of my favorite shit, like and." And the guy was like, put. I think he was like putting away his guitar, and like he, I think he like strummed it or something. And I heard that it was in like drop D, and I was like, uh, like what? And he was like, oh yeah, bro, we used to Digitech drop downs for everything. I don't even touch my guitar tuners. I was like, huh? Like, and I was just like, I wouldn't, cause you know, back 15, 16, 17 years ago, they were not that tight. Like they, you know, like when no. I was playing that kind of, that low, like you couldn't use a Digitech drop tuner. It just, it just didn't sound the same. And I don't know what changed over a few years, but they sound fucking awesome now. <laughs> they work really well. 
it's crazy what what how far the just like just how far the music gear has come in the last like five years man mm-hmm. it's crazy that's it i walk into a music store now man and i'm just like i have no idea what's going on dude like, half just, the store ha- you look around a music store now half of its computers yeah you look at like some of the some of the amps they have now and stuff and i'm just like wait what does this thing do like what like it's just it just what i don't know it it blows my freaking mind like i i see what they're doing now too with like bedroom setup stuff right like just like the the boss katanas like those things blow my fucking mind with how good they sound for being these little oh yeah this is like a little bedroom amp and i'm like oh yeah it's gonna sound like a line six or something and no it sounds fucking amazing you know it's it's just wild freaking wild but um going back for a minute here um so once once you started you know playing and kind of figuring your stuff out did you did you join a band right away or when did how did that all unfold uh nick and steven at the time were just jamming guitar and drums and i was like you guys need someone to jam with and they were like yeah we don't have anybody who plays bass come play bass and then yeah pretty much from there we never like that band never really left steven's basement we did maybe one one or two shows at bhs and i think we played the atria one time for a really 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 sketchy battle of the bands <laughs> like it was those those were the best the sketchy battle of the bands the atria come on <laughs> actually sorry i'm gonna correct you it wasn't the atria it was the diesel room oh the diesel room right okay so the upstairs yeah not yeah which depending on who you ask that's sketchier uh, <laughs> i mean it's i've played it i've played it in recent years and it's not like it just needs to be like kind of like a lounge up there not a vent not like a showroom yeah it's an inter- it's it's a cool place it's just yeah just back in the day that was an interesting place to go see music at <laughs> it's oh, it's a lot different than it used to be <laughs> I saw some gnarly shit there. Scares me. I I saw some (laughs) gnarly shit there (laughs) back in the day. (laughs) Uh, Did you see there? Back so this was back like, I mean I saw in the active violence there a couple of times and I saw um, uh, my boy played in this band called Devoked. Oh, I've heard of Devoked. You're Devoked. Okay, so he was in like the original lineup of Devoked. Like he wrote a lot of the stuff. And uh, I remember going to see them once, and I was—it was not my thing. Like I was just going to hang out with him and support him, and you know, I remember I'm standing there, and like, just like I, I had to go use the bathroom, and it was just like I won't repeat some things that I saw, but uh, it was just, yeah, it was sketchy. I was just like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to come back here. Like, just, I don't know. It's, it's not for, it's not for me. <laughs> no, it's definitely not, not a place you, uh, you take your family to dinner to, let alone your band yeah. to the show. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, that's wild. But that, that's funny though that you guys played at all uh, the bands there. But so then transitioning from that, obviously you've mentioned crane a couple of times when did when did it happen where you uh you joined up with crane so that wasn't until 
So like we basically the three of us did that whole band cycle thing for all of high school and then when Steven and Taylor started so actually I don't know if you knew this or not I was one of the founding members of Out of My League back in the day. I had heard about this. Okay. So what was the original Out of My League? Because I The original Out of My League. The original Out of My League was me, Taylor, and Steven. That was the first. And originally, like, I wasn't really into like because they were really into like a mice and men and stuff like that. And I was still kind of like well, I was like, I really like System of a Down and like I'm start, starting to get into like Lamb of God and stuff like that. So like I'd be down to try stuff like this. And partially creative differences, partially I had a girlfriend who was like, it's cutting into our hanging out time. And at the time I was like, well, okay, see ya. But then, you know, fast forward and then it was like, oh, so yeah, Steven ended up leaving to do that full time and then I didn't want to jam with Nick anymore because he just got ridiculous. And I was like, okay. So I didn't do anything for, I was still sitting at home playing covers and like learning and still trying to like teach myself things and just keep, keep the rest away, keep the, keep the chops up. And eventually I think I was at a party with Taylor and he introduces me to this guy named Devin and, and we'd leave the party and we're going back to Devin's house to hang out and, you know, smoke some of that devil's lettuce. And on the way back, Taylor's like, yeah, he's like, he's like, my buddy here plays bass. And I was kind of in the back of the car. I was like, what? And Devin's like, yeah, I'm putting a band together, man. Like, what do you think? He's like, we need a bass player. I was like, I'm, I'm down to do anything, man, anything. Cause I've been watching Taylor do this out of my league stuff for a couple for like two years now. And I was like, I, I want to have a band. I want to do, I want to play, man. Like I'm tired of, well, I had a buddy who was really good at guitar and really good singer and really good lyricist. And he will remain nameless, but man just couldn't keep it in his pants. Like (laughs) (laughs) he was, he was a man whore, bro. He was a man whore. And like, in retrospect, in retrospect, looking back on it, I'm like, I'm kind of glad like we never because we were writing kind of like folky kind of music. Like he was playing guitar and singing, okay. and I was just I was just kind of putting along on bass in the background. And it was cool stuff, man. Like definitely like indie radio vibe kind of stuff. But then he ended up flaking off and chasing girls and shit. And I was like, okay. And then yeah, I was introduced to these guys, met Marty and Sean, and I was like, okay, like maybe are these guys serious players though, or are they going to be more like, Oh, I just kind of learning how to play guitar. And then Marty's like, yeah, check out this riff. I wrote, he's just, <laughs> and, and it's You're like, uh. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I was, I was so happy. Like, I was so happy. I said yes to that, man. Cause like for almost five years, like we were a band, like some of the fucking most fun I've ever had, man. Not just playing with people, but like hanging out with them. Like it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and some seriously badass music too. Oh you know, man, like the the crane record you guys dropped. Like, that was some good shit, man. I really, I remember like I, I mentioned earlier how like Marty, um, his, his old man and my old man just like know each other through work and stuff. And I don't remember how it came up in conversation one day. I remember my dad was like, 
yeah, I checked out that Crane band. And I was like, what? Like, because my father's not a music guy, let alone a heavy music guy. And I remember he was like, this is pretty cool stuff. And I was like, okay. And I think I, I oh remember I messaged Marty and I was like, dude, like, uh, he's not a fan of the scream. Why is he screaming at me? You know, classic. Like, Why, is he screaming? Why is he screaming at me? But yeah, I remember he was like, this is pretty ripping shit. And I was like, okay. Like, that was out of left field. I remember I messaged Marty and I was like, dude, it's Terry Hodder approved. And he was like, what? I was like, yeah. <laughs> But Terry Hodder approved. approved, man. That's it. Terry Hodder approved Riffridge, bro. But um, yeah, like there was a lot of cool stuff you guys did. And I mean, you know, I'm, I'm glad that uh, you got to have that experience. And there's some super talented cats there, you know. Um, but obviously, transitioning from that, mm -hmm. you, uh, you, you told me earlier that you were kind of going to take a bit of a step away from, uh, from music a bit there. And then a month later, something happened. Yeah, roughly about, like I said, I think it was end of July of last year. That's when, like, Taylor was living a couple blocks down from me here in Oshawa. And he comes up after work one day and he's like, hey, man, so, like, doing some lineup shuffling and uh, Scott's moving to guitar again and we need, uh, we, we, need, we need a bass player. What do you think? And I'll be honest, man, like watching those guys play, like even like with my band, like playing, like I always wish like Crane was more, less, less metalcore, more deathcore. Cause like, I like the heavier shit, man. Like I like, I love the music we did with Crane. Like that was still some of my favorite music. Like I've got to be a part of in my life, man. Like it's insane what we did, but when I think about what I listen to in my like regular like life, it's this kind of stuff you're you're a heavy deathcore guy that's yeah. your that's well not even deathcore like death metal man like mm -hmm. i just metal as the whole umbrella because like i like some slam i like some grindcore i like i like black metal man like i and that's black metal like stemming all the subgenres from that subgenre. Yeah, like 80 subgenres of <laughs> oh it's it's insane but like i just i love it all man but like that specifically, death metal, death metal, that's like my my bread and butter, <laughs> as we'll call it. Joining up with a band like Beguiler, I mean, like you mentioned, you know, watching them play and stuff, it's just like, you know, kind of wanting to maybe do that kind of a vibe. How was it for you, though, coming into a situation where, I mean, you know, Beguiler is a band that's released a couple of EPs and they played some serious shows and they've they have momentum. How was that for you coming into it? Was is that a little bit intimidating when you're jumping into a situation like that, or because your boys? Is it kind of? Nah, man. Like... Even despite having Taylor in the band, who's like I've known Taylor my whole life, and like I, I hung out and and uh, like not jam, but like I played Yu-Gi-Oh with Scott back when they were at the space at Oshawa here, the rehearsal factory. That was about it, though. And I only did that for like a summer or two. And then coming into it, it was still like, oh, so much to like get caught up to speed on because like there, I had to learn basically half of each release they had put out at the time. And like their music, when you compare to Crane's music, like both, both, both styles are hard in their own ways. And what Taylor used to tell me, like, 
man, some of our like breakdowns are harder than our riffs. I was like, that doesn't make sense, dude. And you know, <laughs> it, it makes it makes complete yeah. Sense. When you hear it, you're like, oh, that's what that means. Well, <laughs> a lot of it, man, like you're a lot of it, like any any average listener can sit there and be like, oh, it's just like open notes with like a, with like the first fret. And it's like, no, nah, dude, that's all grime chords and, and all that jazz, like inverted chords like that. And you're like switching between. I don't know how they do it, man, but I can't even jam in the songs at home. Like when I'm like, Haha, I can play this on guitar. It's like, no, I can't. <laughs> I can't. You're like, oh, I, I got this. And then like 30 seconds in, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, I don't, got don't got it. Don't got it. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, yeah, man, it's been a lot. Even just like the last year, like it's it's been a wild experience. And now obviously like, you know, like so when you joined the band, like with Edorath, like that record of that EP was like kind of already done and recorded you know so you, you didn't really get to put your fingerprints on that but you know i'm assuming that the next release of it you're going to be all over it how how excited are you to start ripping those songs and getting them out there well i will say this i've tracked the first song so okay that, that, the ice Shit. has been broken and Getting to record, because, like, Jacob does all our pre-production and, like, even, like, does a lot of the mixes and stuff. Keegan ultimately, like, does the final mixes and masters and puts his, like, spicy, spicy touch on it to make us sound 110%. But, like, just getting to track with Jacob and when, when I did bass tracks with Keegan, when I recorded with Crane, it was just me and Keegan. So, like, a lot of the time, it's like, oh, like what if we tried this? And I'm like, oh, but like, you know, we kind of thought this. And then he was, it's like, when you have someone there who's been a part of the whole writing process and you're taught a song and then it's like, you're playing the song and having someone there who can help you out with that is just a lot. And he's just a treat to hang out with too. I love Jacob. He's just solid dude. And he's just awesome. Yeah. I got to <laughs> imagine for doing, especially pre-production stuff, like that's gotta be, so useful to have someone oh. who really not that i mean keegan's a fucking he's 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 awesome but like having someone who's involved with the band directly and like that's got to be great to be able oh, to have dude. that we're so we're so privileged to have someone like him like kind of like leading us in stuff he's he's the voltron ever band so to speak. i lost you there for a minute but i th i think you, you were you were just saying jacob's like the ha having him be kind of the the leading you guys off you had, you had said something there and i, I lost yeah, you there for a minute yeah he's uh he's kind of like the voltron head of our band so watch i like that yeah <laughs> that's what i thought you said but i was like i don't know if i misheard you or i no, like that it's perfect but yeah then that's one of many songs to come down the pipe in the next year, man. Like it's, we got some, can't say too much, but we got some, we got some pretty interesting things in the works right now. So is, is there going to be a song about Elden Ring? Be honest. 
I can't comment. It, okay, say no more. Say no more. Okay, okay. Can't comment. All right, all right. But all right. between between me <laughs> between between Scott Jacob and myself, yes, that game has consumed a lot of, especially me and Scott. Man, like we were actually playing that a little bit tonight before when I got. Home. Oh, hilarious! <laughs> so that's awesome. I, I got to go back for a minute here because you mentioned something that just like triggered me. Uh, so you said that you and Scott used to play Yu Gi Oh. Yes. You guys still rip Yu-Gi-Oh once in a while, or so I just—he resurrected the idea like a week or two ago, and he's just—he kept, you know, we'd be in the chat, and he'd be like, "Hey man, like everybody come over for six thirty, right? Right? We'll be there at six thirty, and he'd message me and be like, "Hey man, come a little earlier, and bring your cards, <laughs> bring your deck, bro." <laughs> so he, we we'd we'd send each other to the shadow realm before. You know, <laughs> it's, like, I, gonna, it's gonna start amping up though. Nice. Okay. Cool. I I had to ask that because I just um, I very very recently rediscovered like Yu Gi Oh and rediscovered um like the Game Boy Advance games for Yu Gi Oh. So I've been ripping fucking the Eternal Duelist like a shit ton the last like couple of weeks. I'm like anytime I have downtime at work. And I'm oh, just like, yeah. you said it, and I was like, yo, obviously, obviously it's old Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, I don't know anything about, like, the newer, but, like, that early days of Yu-Gi-Oh! Man, that's the shit, man. That's Well, and ironically enough, like, for us, it is the older days that we're kind of basing all of our current builds off of, because, man, this new meta is, it's, when you have a five-minute turn that literally beats me first turn, and you can pull that hand, like, eight out of 10 times in a duel. It's like, what? Like, that's ridiculous. What happened to like, give me Exodia, give me fucking like, but I even like, I, um, it makes me laugh. Cause I had, I had my, so I, I was a warrior card guy. Right? Oh, okay. My, like, and, and I actually, not that long ago, actually gave all my Yu-Gi-Oh cards to my, uh, a, a guy I know. And um, now I'm kind of regretting it. Now I'm like, fuck, man, I wish I had those cards now. Like, give me my Celtic Guardian. Give me my, uh, like, give me, I had, bro, I had four Celtic Guardians, four. And no matter what would happen, I would always find a way to somehow make it so that I, any, if I, if I was going to win, it was going to be with Celtic Guardian doing something. Like, just fucking every time. Oh, man. <laughs> I just beef them up with like four or five equips and just be like, fuck yeah, Celtic Guardian, let's go. My Celtic Guardian now has 3,400 attack power. Like, what the fuck? And I'm standing there with my Karibo, like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is this guy doing? I'll do that on the game or two. I'll have, I'll have literally like my Celtic Guardian, then I'll have all of my magic uh like my magic card space is filled up with equips for Celtic guardian it's just for, it, it's so stupid but i'm like that's my guy i can't i can't do it that's my guy <laughs> one of the decks scott helped me build it's the reason in 2003 or 4 or whatever tournament it was this deck is the reason the ban list exists okay <laughs> have you ever heard of the Yada Lock deck. No, I have not. Oh my goodness. It's so basically the two cards it revolves around Chaos Emperor and Yada Garasu. 
and you use one card to nuke the field and everybody's hands. So you empty the field and both players' hands. And then if you have Sangan on the field, you bring Yadagorasu to your hand. Now to get this dragon out, it's a special summon. You get your normal summon. Now you play Yadagorasu. And I poke you for 200. But because I attack you directly, you skip your draw phase. So you have no field, no back row, no hand, and you can't draw. What do you do? Not a goddamn thing. <laughs> like, so from what I've read online, like the first time someone did that, like the tournament was just like, what is that? What? That sounds ridiculous. <laughs> It's a fun deck to play with, man, and it cost me fucking nothing to build, so. Like, it literally cost me nothing. That's freaking hilarious. I would, I, I just, like, it, it, it's so funny to me because I'm just like, I know, I know so little about it, but, like, I just, like, I used to, I used to be so, like, so, so into it. You know, because like I even I watch like the anime back in the day and stuff too, right? So like, well, I don't know if I call it an anime. Some people have said it's not. They're like, it's not even an anime, bro. It's like a cartoon anime. I'm like, I don't know the difference. But uh, yeah, I was even like back into that back in the day and shit. And yeah, it's just funny. <laughs> I haven't like watched or played any of like the handheld games or like console games or shows since like I was a kid. But like, even even with the rules and stuff, like. It's all changed and evolved over the last oh, 20 yeah, years. It's like, so different. I remember what I remember with the cards that I have, and that's what I play. <laughs> that's what we have. We're just playing with the boys. Just it's not. <laughs> it's street Yu-Gi-Oh, man. There's no rules. Yeah. There's no rules, man. I'll do whatever I want. <laughs> if you want to have nuke all your cards. If you want to run three pot of green in your hand, bro, go ahead. Go ahead, man. There's nothing like when you just get it and it's like I, I have this I have a shitty deck build on the game because like I'll I like the last um, uh, I'm trying to unlock a specific card and to get it I have to beat all these opponents in this one stage 10 times and I'm like oh yeah I got this shit on lock and then every once in a while I'll just draw all because I have I have two pot I have two pot of greeds and then I have um like you know, all the classic, like, fucking, like, trap hole and change of heart and all that shit, right? Mm -hmm. And I, the last game I just did, I literally drew my two pot of pot of greeds, my two trap holes, and then my change of heart. Um, is it five, six, six? And then whatever else I had. And I was like, oh, shit, I got nothing. So then I fucking used both my pot of greeds and I still had, I had all magic and trap cards still. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> way she goes, man. So it's the way she goes. It's the way she goes with the cards. <laughs> but um, so, something I wanted to uh, talk to you about before we get ready to go here today. Um, I know you are, I mean, it, it's, it's no mistake from when I spoke with you guys that Beguiler is very much a band that is influenced by horror and things of that nature. I know from talking to you, you're also a big horror guy and cosplay and things of that nature too. Oh yeah. Um, do you have like, as, as a, an amateur uh, working towards being a horror buff, do you have uh, do you have some favorite horror movies for me you can recommend? 
Oh, gosh. Okay, so... I... I really... I enjoy... Like you were saying with, like, listening to the podcast and listening to somebody else kind of, like, read a story or... You can definitely get more and more out of that than you do a movie because a movie it's like here it is take it or leave it right and there's a lot of movies where i'm like this is just blood and guts there's no story there's nothing when you look at a horror that came out in like 70s and 80s and stuff man like there's a lot of cheesy horror but a lot of it was still really good stories and one of my favorite movies man was actually based off of hp lovecraft story called reanimator if you've ever seen that I haven't. Okay, reanimate. Oh, okay. It's it's the perfect in my opinion. In my opinion, it is the perfect crossover of kind of like like horror, blood and guts and kind of comedy too. Okay. There's some there's some moments in that movie, man, that even I've seen that movie so many times and I'm still howling at the same parts. Like there's there's a scene there's a scene in particular with a cat. Just wait. Okay. I'm gonna look the, I'm gonna look this up. I I because I'm also a really big fan of like comedy horror too. Like I can appreciate just what you like like I mean mainly there's one podcast I just I have gotten really into and it's called Are You Are You Scared of These Stories? And it's it's one of the dumbest podcasts you'll ever hear, but that's the point. Like and it's just there'll be this just this absurd these three guys sitting around a campfire telling quote unquote stories and they quote unquote capture paranormal events that happen around them and it's like you know they'll be like doing the voice of like a ghost or something and they'll be saying just the most absurd shit and they'll all be laughing in the background so it's just like it's just a big joke right but like it's so well done that i'm just like They'll just be saying the most like absurd, like just disgusting, horrifying shit. But I'm just like, I just, I can really appreciate the dark humor as well. So, ooh, okay, I'll have to, you have to send me that. I'm down to check that out. I'll link you. It's, it's. I've, ne- I have never laughed so hard on a podcast than I did of episode eleven of that show. I, I had to leave my apartment. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I thought, I thought, I thought I was gonna pass away. I was laughing so goddamn. There's one scene that just, and it's the dumbest shit, but just I could, I couldn't breathe. Like my neighbors were asked if I was okay. Like that's I was fucking. That's awesome. Man. That's absurd, it's just absurd. Shit. But but okay, Reanimator. Okay. Okay. Yeah, definitely, definitely that one. Um, oh my goodness, there's so many, man. I just. So there was one on Netflix I saw a couple of years back. I don't know if it's still on there, but if it is, you should definitely check it out. It's called The Ritual, and it's about these four friends that go backpacking in the woods in uh, Norway. And like, it's not like Blair Witch, like it's not like found footage, like it's a it's a movie. But I was I was like on the edge of my seat for like most of this movie. Okay, and. Another movie, if you like, kind of, uh, it, it's not really paranormal. It's more, I guess you could say, 
uh, kind of crosses the line with Satan a little bit, but I found it was done very tastefully. If, another one, if you haven't seen Hereditary. Oh, yeah, I loved Hereditary. Yeah, okay. It's so really well done. I didn't I, like it until about halfway through, and I was like, oh, shit, okay. Oh, dude. <laughs> after... After the scene with the uh, with the youngest with the youngest child, I remember like Stephen showed me that movie when it like when it was still in theaters and like we were sitting in his basement. He found a good pirated version of it. We were sitting in his basement, and he doesn't he doesn't have a finished basement, so like it's just pitch black. His tiny little computer screen is the only thing like the only light, and I'm like sitting on the edge of it like for the whole thing like <laughs> loved it. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an early one for sure. There's a bunch of them because like what got me into horror really was like the Conjuring series of movies. Yeah, like that was as with a lot of people like just this. I was like, oh, horror movies are dumb. There's no story. And then like I remember seeing those and I was like, oh, these are all connected. And like, okay, like so yeah. I'll, I but Hereditary was like, yeah, that was that was fucked up. Yeah, they, <laughs> I was, but it was really well done. It was like. Another one I really enjoyed at the time too was when the first Sinister movie came out. Dude, yeah. don't even mention that movie in my presence. Oh, why? Oh just... my god, dude! I, I I thought I told this story to to you guys, or maybe I didn't. So, there has been two occasions in my life where I have seen something that physically made me turn off my television and just like leave the room. Because I was just like, I'm done. I cannot continue watching this or experiencing this. Um, one was Sinister. There's one scene in particular. And the other one was Silent Hill 4, The Room, which was a game. I don't know if you're familiar with it. but I've seen, I think I've seen the first Silent Hill movie. Mm-hmm. But I never, I was never into like the, uh, the series, like the game. Yeah, there's there, but yeah. So Silent Hill Four, the room. There's this one scene that like, I bro, I so like the, the whole the whole concept of Silent Hill Four, the room is you're this dude who's in your apartment, but like your apartment basically becomes haunted as fuck. And there's a bunch <laughs> of shit going on. I'm not gonna sit here and explain the whole plot, but so basically you like leave your apartment through paranormal means, and then you keep returning to it, and it's like more and more disturbing every time you return Ooh. to your apartment. It's really good. It's really well done. And um, there's this one incident where it was a really intense level. And then I came back to the apartment and everything looked normal right away. And I was like, oh, thank God. And I left my bedroom and all I heard was like, yeah, 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 Like the sound of like kids. And I was like, what the fuck? And bro, I come around the corner and the way the camera is, like if you're walking out of a hallway, it's going to pan to like, like if you're coming around a corner, it's going to pan to like the corner so you can watch yourself come around the corner. Yeah. And I came and the camera panned and there was like the wall had like these like flesh colored like kids like inside the wall, like almost like behind the wallpaper trying to get out. And they were just like, eh. Yeah, yeah, and like, I don't know why it disturbed me so much. I think because I wasn't expecting it. It just, I literally just stopped in my tracks, stared at it for about 35 seconds, got up, 
turned it off, removed the disc, put it away, and I didn't touch that game for six months. I was like, <laughs> fuck no. It just, it, it, it messed me up for weeks, dude. I was like, what the fuck? But Sinister. So about halfway through, I, I've never finished Sinister, by the way, because of this. And I, I need to watch it because I, I really enjoyed it up to this point. Um, oh, you got to finish it. Yeah, I got to. I know I got to watch it. But this, so I'm chilling. And, it, you know, when he's like, it's like halfway through the movie, he's discovered this thing that's like in the background of all the videos and shit, right? And yep. he, he, there's this one scene where he's like looking at the image of the guy's face. And he like walks by the screen and the dude like pans to follow him. You know what I'm talking about? Like the dude on the screen. He like, oh, yeah, him. yeah. And there's that split fucking quarter of a second where he fucking goes like this and he looks directly at the camera. The fucking like, yeah, he's like, dude. He, yeah, Ethan Hawke, like, he kind of, like, he looks at the projector, and then you see the face turn and look at him, and then right as he's turning his head to look back at the screen, the face turns back to, like, the the, the still. Yeah. But to, to me, there was a split quarter of a second where as he's turning to follow Ethan Hawke, he looks directly at the camera. There's, mm-hmm. like, a, a fucking... It's barely there. But for whatever reason, in that moment... I think I may have been a little high at the time. Yeah. Now that I'm it thinking just about it, pierced your soul, dude. Like my girl was asleep next to me, and I, I just, I was looking. And to me, that scene lasted for like five minutes, the way I'm remembering it, where he was just staring at me. And I, I fucking, I just, I turned it off. I was just like, nope, I'm done. Like, nope, done. Couldn't finish it. I, I couldn't sleep that night. I was like, nah, and like. She's like, I don't get it. It wasn't scary. I'm like, for whatever reason, it just, it ruined me. I don't know why. Just the thought of, yo, this dude is looking at me. <laughs> just, and I, I haven't been able to bring myself to finish it, but I, I was really enjoying it too up to that point, but I, I got to finish it. It's such a, such a stupid reason to not finish the movie, but I, I think you've inspired me. You saying Sinister, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to go back and watch it again. You got to, man, because like, the, I don't know. I just at the time, like there was there so there'd been so much stuff like other movies that had came out that like were overhyped. And you go spend money and you go see them. And even as a kid, like it's like, oh well, that's an hour and a half of my life I'm not getting back. Like but going back to like Steven showing me shit, there was another series he showed me, and I just found out recently that there's been two more movies released in the series. And I'm very curious to see how those ones are. But the first two, you ever watch VHS or heard of those movies? No. Okay. So it's found footage, but in my opinion, it's found footage done right. So what it is, is it the first movie is about this weird cult of people that they, they go around and they like, they'll like film people doing shit for like blackmail or money or whatever and they get a they get a call for a job where they're like oh this guy's gonna pay us all this money to go to this house and like get all these tapes and like we just have to get the tapes so they go to this house and they have to break into the house and like there's like garbage bags all in the windows and this house is just like a dump 
but there's VHS tapes everywhere. Like they're on the walls, they're in the closets, they're everywhere. And they're all like blank tapes. So they're like, well, what tapes are you supposed to look for? So they start looking and they're like filming it as they're walking through. The guy puts the camera down. They walk into this one room. There's a dude who killed himself sitting in the chair. And there's just a TV like with a snowy screen. So the guy walks up and he puts the tape in. And now that's the first tape. And there's five different tapes you get to watch in this movie. And each one is more like more ridiculous than the last one and they all touch on different genres of horror too and it's like and while these stories are being told they're the story of the guys going to the house there's shit going on in the house that like you see and it's and the second movie it's more of the same it's but it's two detectives looking for someone who's missing but the person who's missing is i'm not gonna say but that movie there's four different tapes they show, but because they cut one tape out in the second movie, it gave the budget a bigger, it gave the other four movies a bigger budget to play with. Watch that shit. That does sound real. I'm going to have to look it up. That what? actually sounds really cool. I like the idea of like the four different movies to like watch. And it's, where do you see the story that's going on outside of those movies? Like, like, where do you see how this whole thing, like, I, that's why I said there's two more movies they've came out with in recent years. And I'm like, shit, I got some, yeah, I got some homework to do. But those first two movies, man, I love both of them. They're so good. That's freaking awesome. I dig it, man. Like, I, I just, it, it's something that uh, as time goes on, especially now that we're getting into, uh, um, oh, they're, uh, they're with Bloody Disgusting. Okay, cool. Is that okay? So I just I just looked it up when you were saying that because I was curious. And yeah, they um, I guess they they were working with Bloody Disgusting or or, uh, or or something like that. Oh That's shit! Cool. Right on. That's cool. Right on. But anyway, um, yeah, like I, especially now heading into October and shit. You know, it's like it's it's time. I mean, I think spooky stuff should be all year round, but like it's especially. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look that up. I, I appreciate you sharing that. <laughs> and man, like that's just. That's just some of the ones I can think of off the top of my head. Like there's, yeah. I can name like all the classic ones. Cause to me, of like course. I, like I said, with like seventies, eighties horror, I just, there's something about like the whole vibe of those movies and stuff, man. I just love them so much. And there's some really, 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 really out there movies that have, that exist that people don't know exist. And it's like the shock factor is off the charts. Especially with a lot of the old school Italian directors, man. Like, I have this one movie. It's called uh, Beyond the Darkness. And actually, the Black Dahlia Murder, on their nocturnal record, they wrote a song based on the movie called Death Mass Divine. And the movie is about a, ta- a guy who does taxidermy. You know, he lives in the mount- he lives in this big villa house by himself. And while his fiance dies, mysterious so everybody's at the funeral and everybody's all sad and he's kind of looking around and he injects her with i think embalming fluid and then after they bury her he goes back to the cemetery digs her up takes her home guts her fucking uh basically makes a doll out of her so he can keep her forever and then proceeds to have his way with the doll 
proceeds to do fucked up shit. <laughs> it, it, but it's a wild movie, man. Like it's, it's, oh, it's, yeah, check it out too. It's, there's so much okay. crazy stuff I can send you, man. Like it sends you scores of shit. And please do. I'm always down. I'm <laughs> All always right, man. down. So I'll send you, way. especially like you said, with the, with the fall season upon us. Cause I'm sorry. Like to me, like I know August is still summer, but like August till, like late November to me, it's like prime spooky. Oh, for sure. Season. Yeah. Fall in general. I'm in. Let's go. Like we start getting into the spooky. We start slowly decorating for Halloween, like late August. Like, let's go. It's time. I, like, res- I respect the fuck out of that. Yeah. We're there, man. <laughs> Dude, I, my, my girlfriend, she's already started buying the uh, pumpkin spice uh, latte mix for her coffee. Yeah. Huh? Nothing wrong with that. Like, Get that shit we- going. Oh yeah, speaking of the fall, I don't know if you noticed or saw the post or not, but we have a little uh, weekend run we're doing in the fall. I was just about to bring that up. That's awesome. <laughs> but the uh, um, the mini horror tour, I think they called the it. Mini horror tour. Yeah. Yeah, the Northern Horror Mini Tour. That's so, yeah. You guys are going to Newmarket, Montreal, and Oshawa. Mm-hmm. Nice. And it's yeah. Who so who, so who's on the bill? So there's Pillars of Autumn, Cruel Intent, Planet Killer, and then of course, yeah, boys, Guyler. Yeah, that's gonna be fucking man. People in that pit are gonna die, dude. And <laughs> like, shout out to fucking Planet Killer because like they're coming all the way up from they're coming from BC to do this weekend with us, man. Like, excited to have them. If you haven't checked them out, like they're another just really good heavy as balls band check them out they slot fucking right on i'll have to definitely do that that's uh yeah that's gonna be bad so if you're it's october 21st to the 23rd folks if you're in the new market montreal or washable area that's gonna be uh that's the, gonna be a good the, one the traveling uh the slam circus will be rolling into your town near you the also, slam circus yeah man <laughs> I dig it. That's awesome. Well, Gord, man, it's been a fucking joy getting to chat with you and catch up and learn a bit about you and talk some Yu-Gi-Oh and horror and things like that. I appreciate the time, man. I appreciate you having me on, man. Like, seriously, it's it's always a treat. It's great getting to talk to you, too. Yeah, brother. All right. I'll have some links down below for for Beguiler, folks, if you want to go check them out and check out the uh, that Northern Horror Mini Tour. I'll have some links down below. Gord, thanks so much, man. Thanks again, TJ. I really appreciate it. How powerful is Cox Internet? So powerful that one day, your daughter will be able to simulate a soccer match against some of the world's best players right from your backyard. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Internet delivered through Cox's hybrid fiber coax network. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Right, guys, there you have it, my conversation with Gord Cameron from the Mighty Beguiler. Definitely a fun chat getting to have a conversation with my old buddy, learning all about his musical journey. That was just a lot of fun. A little bit of a, tri a trip down memory lane a couple of times there, too. Big shout-outs to everybody who we gave shout-outs to in that conversation, as well as, of course, Gord and everybody over at the Beguiler Camp. Definitely are a, uh, a, 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 at this point, I would say a bit of a harder show OG band. I would say Beguiler is big fans of them and huge shout outs to everybody at the Beguiler camp. If you are listening to this and you are a fan of Beguiler, thank you so much for tuning in. I seriously appreciate it. Be sure to check out some other past episodes of the show. I have had some content from Beguiler. Uh, not all that long ago, we did do a music showcase with uh, Gord was on as well as Jacob. So be sure to go check that out. And if you're a fan of heavier music, I've got lots of other kick-ass content here. But if you're just a fan of music in general, especially Ontario and Canadian music, check out some of the past episodes. It's got a lot of stuff that you may enjoy. And if you would like to support the show, consider going a little step further. Hitting that subscribe button, leaving a like if you can, commenting, sharing, all that helps a lot. And be sure to follow us on the social media. We have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, all under The Harder Show. And if you would like to come on the show or you have something you'd like to talk to me about, you can hit me up anytime at thehardershow at gmail.com. That's thehardershow at gmail.com. And if you would like to even take it that extra step further, consider joining The Harder Show patreon and you will get special content you will not find anywhere else as well as a shout out on every single episode of the show just like my hotheads are about to get right now we of course have associate hothead scott duquette scott thanks for all your support brother scott has been a patron since uh, 2019 literally one of the og patrons here on the harder show we have the Grey Rooms podcast. What else can I say that I haven't said about the Grey Rooms? Thank you guys so much for everything you have done for me. I am a proud member of the Grey Rooms Productions Network. We're fixing to take over the world, folks, so stay tuned for that. And the Grey Rooms is getting ready to come back with season five. I am so excited for that. When I say getting ready, they're in the process of writing and recording and things of that nature. So we're very excited about that. Ronan Kamori, Ronan, thank you so very much for all the support wolf delta pie thanks so much brother i appreciate you eric phones eric thank you brother i appreciate you so very much arthur unk head writer of the gray rooms podcast arthur you know i love you buddy thanks so much for everything and mike quintero who is the host of mike's mystery mansion a horror narration youtube channel and podcast go check it out if you are into horror and paranormal content mike is a badass and definitely deserves your support and is a a wonderful supporter of this podcast so big shouts to him and all of my patreon supporters to get a little shout out like that at the end of every single episode of the hotter show all you got to do is join the hotter show patreon at one dollar a month that's right one dollar a month you will not even realize that's gone honestly there are patrons i support that i don't even i, I don't even know that i've supported them anymore until i get like the monthly content or whatever it is they do i'm like huh why am i getting this for free and then i'm like oh yeah i'm paying a dollar a month one dollar or five dollars or ten dollars of the tiers i have they may not seem like that big of a deal but let me tell you <laughs> there is nothing more incredible than being able to say hey i'm making a little bit of money 
doing something I love with this content that I love that I can then take that money and put it directly back into the show, which is what I already have been doing, buying new equipment, buying new programs like I'm using right now to help make the show sound better, buy some you know, sound paneling and stuff to try and get rid of some of this echo situation that I've been dealing with over the last few months here, or last couple months at least. Things like that will help The Harder Show and will help The Harder Show grow, just like the fine sponsors we have here on The Harder Show the last little while. All of that helps. And the reality is, is money makes the world go around. And as much as I love doing this for free, and I will always have this show for free, that's never going to change. If I can make a little bit of scratchola to then put back into the show, it's just going to make everything better. So consider joining the Hardware Patreon. But if not, I still just appreciate you listening. Thank you so very much, especially if you are still listening. You are seriously the best. Give yourself a round of applause. I did it for you. Don't worry about it. I got your back. <laughs> With that, I'm going to sign off here today. Thank you guys so very much again for tuning in. And I'll catch you next time on The Harder Show. Take it easy, guys. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah. Woohoo! Often thinks about the old boring Sarah yes. and wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.